Once again, it's good to remind us that your worldview matters. More than black lives matter, your worldview matters. Your worldview matters more than the Me Too movement matters. Now, before you turn me off and walk out the door, please give me a hearing now that I have your attention. The reason your worldview matters so much is because it is the lens, remember, through which you will view and understand and interpret the Black Lives Matter movement and the Me Too movement. You see, your worldview is the set of ideas or habits, patterns in your life that helps you come to conclusions about everything and everybody in this world, including God. Have you ever heard someone say, don't judge me, or who are you to judge? Ever anybody say that? Even though they're asking a question, who are you to judge, they really know the answer in their own minds, and the answer is, you're nobody with authority to judge me. But the fact of the matter is, we make hundreds of judgments every single day. And the source of our judgments is the worldview that we have adopted. And this is why America is so deeply divided over issues that should really unite us, by and large. And that is why America struggles every election cycle. And there's so much political rancor and debate. We have fostered a pluralistic society of people who hold different worldviews. And it makes it increasingly difficult to govern such a nation because these worldviews compete with each other and they're not all the same. They're fundamentally different even though they are superficially in some ways the same. We see some of these divisions even in the church. And, and when you have a multicultural, multi-ethnic church like UBC, for example, you're going to see some of those divisions surface periodically. For example, there are some brothers and sisters in this church family who are diehard Republicans and some who are diehard Democrats. How can this be in, this, in the family of God? I submit to you it is simply a matter of worldviews, and they may not even realize it. Did you hear about the leggings controversy stirred up? by a conscientious, self-described Catholic mother of four just a few weeks ago. I read the letter that this mother wrote as she was sitting in a, a Catholic mass at one of the universities there in Indiana, I think it was Notre Dame, and some women came to the mass, seated in front of her and her sons, wearing these leggings that women now love to wear everywhere and apparently even in a worship service. And this mother was so disturbed because she, could, she couldn't focus on the service in the Mass. She was so distracted by the clothing of these college students. And I read the letter, and I thought it was very respectful, thoughtful, and it contained rational and wise arguments as to why young women or women in general ought to consider more carefully how they dress, especially coming to a place of worship. 
But the response from over 1,000 students on campus was to protest this concerned mother by gathering on the Notre Dame University campus in a public outdoor space, all clad in skin-tight, body-shaping leggings. Now, depending on which side you end up on, depends on, you guessed it, your worldview. The worldview in which you hold will cause you to judge this woman and this situation one way or another. Now, do you realize just how important your worldview is? Last week, you remember, we listed the six major worldviews. Number one, the Judeo-Christian worldview, the Islamic worldview, the secularism or secularist worldview, or the secularism, and then there's Marxism, then there's postmodernism, and then there's new spirituality. Again, though superficially, many of them appear to be similar, uh, fundamentally, they are very different from the Judeo-Christian worldview and from each other. Uh, some people like to claim that all religions are the same. They just are like, you know, different paths up the same mountain. But it's the same God that we all worship. We just take different paths to get to that God. Anybody ever heard that argument? Or maybe you've heard the popular analogy about religious world, religions and, and worldviews. Some people say that, that uh, these six worldviews or six primary religions are like six blind men trying to describe an elephant. Uh, the elephant in this analogy, of course, is God. One blind man grabs the tail of the elephant, and he says, oh, the elephant must be like a rope. Another one touches the foot of the elephant and thinks, oh, no, I think the elephant is more like a tree, a tree trunk. And still another one feels the tusks of the elephant and says, hmm, I think the elephant is more like a spear. And on and on, they each give their limited perspective on the elephant based on the part of the elephant with which they first come in contact. So at first it seems like all the blind men are correct in describing the same animal, but there are some assumptions that are problematic. Number one, each man can only know by touching one part of the elephant. They can only know what the elephant looks like by touching one part. That's the presumption in this analogy. Number two, we know something that the blind men don't know. We know that they really are touching a real elephant. And they don't know that. Uh, but if everyone is blind, then no one can really know the true description of the entire elephant. What we need is someone who can see and knows what the elephant looks like and then is able to clearly communicate to us who are blind, and of course, we all are the blind men. Now, we don't have time to compare and contrast each worldview. I'll let you do that on your own. It's very simple to do. All you got to do is put those worldviews up on, on Google and do a little research, and that'll come up for you so you can understand how they compare and contrast with each other. But the bottom line difference between the Christian worldview and all other worldviews, of course, is the resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But the question I want us to consider today is this. Why doesn't everybody see the validity of the Christian worldview and adopt that one? 
Why are there millions, if not billions, of people that belong to or have adopted so many other worldviews besides the Christian worldview? We'll study two passages of Scripture this morning in the New Testament that help us to answer this pressing question. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, is the first passage that I want us to take a look at. Romans 1, 16 to 20, just five verses. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Here we find the first reason many reject the Christian worldview. To them, it is shameful. There are some Christians who are even ashamed of Christ, or they may be ashamed of something that's scandalous in the church that may be happening, as we have seen in recent days. When the Apostle Paul wrote this epistle or letter to the church in Rome, both the believers and the non-believers were struggling with the shame associated with the crucified Savior. Though the Romans didn't invent crucifixion, they certainly perfected crucifixion, and they used it more than any other culture as a form of capital punishment and control over their occupied territories, the Roman Empire. And because, but, but listen, crucifixion to the Romans were, were, was such a cursed, excruciated, wicked thing that no Roman citizen could suffer that punishment. No matter how, no matter what they did, they could never be crucified. That's how vile and wicked and excruciatingly horrifying crucifixion was. And the Romans decided that it was not for their own Roman citizens, but only for those that they had conquered and ruled over in the Roman Empire. Only those could suffer crucifixion. And so, because those crucified were stripped naked, beaten, tortured publicly, it was not only the most cruel way to die, but it was also the most publicly humiliating or shameful way to die. And crucifixion was reserved for the worst of criminals that were non-Roman citizens. Yet the hero, the hero of Christianity died such a death. What could be more shameful than to base a whole religious belief system on someone who suffered such a public shame and humiliation and disgrace? Why would anyone want to believe in such a person or his or her teachings? And so this was one of the issues facing Paul as he wrote to the church in Rome. And in his opening remarks, he deals with this issue of shame. And he deals with it head on. And he makes the declaration that he is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to immediately declare his reasons why he is unashamed of Christ and his gospel message. Paul says it is because the gospel is the what? Power of God 
on display in the changed lives of all former unbelievers. A simplistic way to put it is this. To the Jews, there were only two kinds of people in the world, Jews and Gentiles. But to the Apostle Paul, there are only two kinds of people in the world, saved and lost, believers and unbelievers. And God's powerful gospel, Paul says, is powerful enough to save both Jews and Gentiles from their sins. You see, the Christian worldview is the only worldview and the only religion that properly identifies and deals with the core problem of humanity. What's our problem? Now, spouses, you might think your problem is your wife or your husband. That's not your problem. You might think your problem is your rebellious children. That's not your problem. You might think your problem is this tyrannical boss, this crazy job. That's not your problem. You might think your problem is the president, Trump. That's not your problem. Whatever you might point to and you think is your problem in life, it is not your problem unless you say my problem is sin. Now we're talking. (laughs) That is your problem and that's my problem and that is the problem of the world. It all, think about it. Every single problem in the world traces back to the sinful human heart. Think about it. Political scandal, sexual scandal, financial scandal, violence, drugs, poverty, divorce, racism, sexism, pornography, transgenderism, war, you name it. It all comes back to sinful decisions made in the sinful human heart. But here's the irony. The irony of that is often hard for unbelievers to understand at first. The irony of this gospel and and what it all entails. See, the Bible says that the wages of sin, the payment or the outcome of sin is always what? Death. Death. Of relationships, death of society, death ultimately of the body and the soul. So what's the answer to the problem of sin which ends in death? Ironically, the death of God. It's like the irony of fighting fire with fire, as we mentioned earlier in the service, right? It doesn't seem logical, but it works. And so in the most vulnerable, excruciating, and humiliating way, God sent his son to die for sinners in order that sin might die in us so that we might live the abundant life on earth and eternal life in heaven. Now look at verse 17. Paul continues, he says, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, From first to last, just as it is written, the righteous or the just shall live by faith. Do you see the word for, which begins verse 17? It is the same Greek word, gar, translated because in verse 16. This word helps us to understand that Paul is explaining the reason the gospel is so powerful. There's a reason. Just as he has reasons for why he believes in the gospel and is is unashamed of the gospel, he now gives us a reason why the gospel is so powerful. So Paul's reason for believing and being unashamed 
of the gospel is because of its power, and the reason it's so powerful is spelled out here. He says the gospel is powerful because it is the righteousness of God revealed. The righteousness of God revealed. In other words, the gospel has the power to take everything that's wrong with the world, which is sin at work in and through our own lives, and the gospel then changes the wrong in us and makes us right. Or to put it another way, the gospel makes us righteous. The gospel has the power to change our stinking thinking to righteous thoughts about ourselves, about God, and about others. Which relates to the greatest and the second greatest commandment Jesus gave. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love your... You know the reason why some people have trouble loving God and others? Because they don't love themselves. The reason why some people have trouble respecting God and others because they don't respect themselves. No other religion, no other worldview teaches this incredible love, unconditional love for God, self, and others. You see, it changes the wrong in us and makes us right. The gospel makes us righteous. The gospel has the power to change our filthy mouths filled with curses and discouragements and replaces them with words of blessing and encouragement. Again, that's the reason why I model for you parents to bless your children. And so many children in the world today The reason they act the way they do is because they have not been blessed properly at home. And so they feel the curses of their parents and grandparents or aunts and uncles, and they go out and they curse others. Rather than being a blessing to the world, they are a curse to the world. Learn to bless your children, and they will grow up to be a blessing to the world. The gospel has the power to change our mouths and what comes out of our mouths. The gospel has the power to change what we desire to see with our eyes that often pollutes our minds. The gospel has the power to change the undesirable places that we take our bodies and the junk we desire to pollute our bodies. The gospel has the desire to change all of that. The gospel has the power to teach us how to love one another, even our enemies. And Jesus taught us that when he said to them, to love your enemies. He had to teach how to love the enemy. And who was the enemy of the Jews? In Jesus' day, it was the Romans. They were hated by the Jews because of the Roman occupation and persecution. And Jesus had to teach the Jewish people Hey, if a Roman soldier asks you to carry his backpack, which he was legally able to do, he says, don't just carry it a mile, take it two miles. That's love. You take it a mile, that's law. Take it two miles, that's love. If somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. 
Jesus' disciples, I remember one time they came to him and said, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven? They thought seven was a perfect number, which it is a perfect number. And they thought, okay, seven, that's, that's, that's the law. Jesus says, no, 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 you guys don't get it. Seventy times seven, which in that sense, Jesus said, always. That's amazing. How do you forgive somebody over and over and over and over? Just be done with them, right? Gee whiz. See, Jesus is the standard. And his word is the standard for us. And the gospel, once we believe it and receive it, it has the power to change us from inside out. So the gospel has the power to teach us how to love even our enemies. Now, Paul answers the how question. He answered the why question on both why he believes in the gospel and is unashamed. And then he answers the question as to why the gospel is so powerful because it is powerful to change sinners like you and me. Now he answers the how question. How in the world does the gospel do that? How does the gospel bring about such change in sinful human beings? How many of you know people that you just shake your head and you think they will never change? How many of you know people like that? Tell the truth and shame the devil. Some of them live in your house. Some of them live at work. They're at work. Some of them are in your classroom. Some of them live on your street, right? You know people like that. And you just shake your head and you say, they will never change. They will never change. You actually think that and sometimes you catch yourself saying that. They'll never change. You know why you say that? Because you have forgotten the power of the gospel. You've forgotten the power of the gospel to change you. You've forgotten how you used to be before God got a hold of you. Am I right about it? <laughs> Some of us, we get so high and mighty, we've been in the church too long, we just, we forgot how, where God brought us from. And so we say about others, he, she will never change. They will never change. I know those people, they will never change. No, now, not if you believe the gospel. Not if you understand the power of the gospel. You should never, ever think that. And those words should never come out of your mouth if you believe what the Bible is teaching here in Romans chapter 1. And so... Paul says it begins and ends with personal faith. And he quotes the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. The just shall live by faith. No one is justified by their own good works. You don't become righteous by doing good things. The only righteousness you and I have is based on the perfect righteousness of Christ, which is imputed to us once we believe the gospel. We've all heard the scriptures say, without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. Why is faith so important? It is important because it too is very, very powerful. Your faith is as powerful as the gospel. Remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? What was their big problem that caused their first sin and the fall of mankind? Was it not the sin of unbelief? The lack of faith in God's revealed word? God gave them a few rules to live by. Not many, just a few. 
And one of those few rules God gave them in the garden was to refrain from eating the fruit of the forbidden tree, which was in the middle of the garden. Matter of fact, God says, don't even go near it, don't touch it, don't go near it. But when tempted by the devil, what did they do? They believed the lie of the devil instead of the truth of God. That's what they did. It wasn't the only reason they ate the fruit and did what God told them not to do is because they believed the lie. So you have to understand fundamentally how we as human beings work. Don't listen to what people say. Watch what they do. It's not really what they say that matters. It's what they do. That's how you... See, our actions speak louder than... So, if we were to interview Adam and Eve and said, now, do you believe in God? They could not in good conscience say, yes. At least not in this command that he gave them. Because he gave them a command not to eat of this fruit. And if you were to say, do you believe that God had your best interests in heart when he commanded you not to eat the fruit? They can in good conscience say yes. Because when the devil came and tempted them, they believed him, and then their actions reflected what they truly believed. They believed that the devil's lie was better than God's truth. They believe that what the devil had in mind for them was better for them than what God had in mind for them. And that is the case with you and I every time we disobey God's word. Every single time we disobey, it's because we have believed a lie instead of the truth. So the sin of unbelief, the lack of faith in God's revealed word was Adam and Eve's problem in the garden and it is our problem today. See, to God, that is the height of disrespect. Parents, I'm sure you feel the same way God does when your children disobey you. You think to yourself, they don't believe that I care about them more than their friends do. They don't believe that I care about them more than... See, the reason that you give your children boundaries, commands, rules, is because you love them. Not because you want them to be unhappy or you want them to kill the joy in life. No, because you love them. And you're doing the best to your knowledge what's best for them. But when they disobey and do things they, you've told them not to do or don't do things you've told them to do, you feel wounded and hurt as a parent because you realize they don't trust you. They don't believe you. Because if they trusted and believed you, they would obey you. Jesus says... If you love me, you keep my commandments. It's very simple. It's not rocket science. We're not talking about sending people to the moon, landing on Mars. That's complicated stuff. We're talking about trust, belief, love, obedience. They're connected. They're connected. So to God, the height of disrespect, when you and I choose to disobey the commands of God... What we are saying is that we know better than you, God, though you created us, love us, know us more than we even know ourselves, more than we even love ourselves. 
That's what we're saying. We're saying that we know better than God and we love better than God. And that is like us shaking our fist in God's face. And when we're, and listen, and how many testimonies do we have? We are proven wrong every time we disobey. Are we not proven wrong? Right? <laughs> is there anybody that's ever disobeyed God and said, you know what, I was right that time. Yep, that time, uh, one for me, I was <laughs> right. Every time we disobey and the consequences come, we're like, oh, okay. I was wrong again, sorry. Please forgive me. There is no human being that's ever proven God wrong on any command that he's given. And yet, we give in too often to the temptations to disbelieve and distrust him, to have it, like Burger King says, our way. And yet God, in his amazing grace and mercy, made a way to forgive us and to cleanse us and to restore a right relationship with him that was broken by our sinful disobedience. You see, to doubt God often leads to disobeying God, and to disobey God is to fail to believe God. And it is our failure, the failure on the, our part, to trust that he knows best and he loves us best. Behind every command of God is his loving heart and supreme knowledge of what is good, what is best, what is beautiful, what brings ultimate joy and satisfaction. You say, then why does God make it so hard by allowing us to be tempted? That's one question that unbelievers often ask. They said, well, if God really loved us and cared, why would he make it so hard and, and allow us even to be tempted? Why aren't we kind of hardwired to always choose what is right and what is just and what is good? Well, the simple answer is that God wants a genuine, loving relationship with us. Did you know that? And you can't have true love without true choice. You can't have an, un, an enduring, loving relationship without trust or faith and without having the ability to choose. You can't legislate someone to love you. At least you ought not. I hope you don't do that with your kids or your spouse. You, it has to be a willing, volitional choice that one makes to love as they have been loved. And that is why faith is so central to beginning and keeping a relationship with God. And so to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is to believe in the person and the salvific work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's, that kind of faith is powerful enough to save any sinner who chooses to exercise his faith in Jesus Christ. But the opposite choice of disbelief or unbelief is also has consequences. Powerful consequences, only they are the most tragic consequences. Verse 18, Paul explains. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen by being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So here Paul gives two other reasons people don't adopt the Christian worldview. It is because they reject God as creator and they look for another reason to explain the existence of the universe. And the reason many do that, Paul explains, is because they love their wickedness and their godlessness. In other words, if they believed in the God of the universe, that would mean that they are accountable to the God of the universe for their godless thoughts, their godless words, and their godless actions. But if you get rid of God, then you can do whatever you please, and there's no one ultimately to answer to. In other words, if they believed in God they would have to be accountable to him. And the truth is, many people want to be God of their own lives, don't we, sometimes? They don't want anyone telling them how to live their private lives. Stay out of my bedroom, stay out of my mind, stay out of my bank account. I'm God over those spheres, right? That's how we think. Finally, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. I'll give you the final reason why so many don't plainly see and choose the Christian worldview as a worldview that is valid to be adopted and lived out. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 4 through 6. The Bible says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light to shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. I told you last week that we're in a spiritual battle. And our spiritual enemy is named here the God of this age. That is Satan. The same one who tempted and deceived Eve to eat the forbidden fruit and then she convinced her husband to join in her disbelief and disobedient to God's revealed word. Paul is teaching the church that Satan the God of this age, is still blinding the minds of unbelievers. And how does he do that? With false worldviews. He fills their minds with lies about the origin, the meaning, the purpose, and the destination in life. And so people make up a different origin. How did we get here? They make that up. And they oftentimes use science and scientific knowledge and research to make up a different version of the origin of life instead of believing what God's word says in Genesis. What is our purpose? They make up something rather than believing in what God has revealed to us, our purposes in life. Where are we going? What is our destination? They make something up. What, how do we find meaning in life? Oh, remember, most people think Get all you can, any way you can. Sit on the can as long as, the can, as you can, right? That's, he who dies with the most toys wins. I mean, isn't that 
what we see our world, most of our world is all about. It's about accumulating wealth, power, success for yourself as much as possible. How pointless and empty is that? I mean, it's nice to have nice stuff. I like nice stuff, but that can't be the full meaning and purpose of my existence. And it certainly isn't fulfilling, as many wealthy people will tell you when they tick off all their goals and dreams that as they are accomplished in their lives. They will tell you that it really does not bring me the fulfillment that I thought it would when I had it as a goal and it's now realized in my life. And so the Christian worldview answers satisfactorily the question of origin, purpose, meaning, and destiny. And so those who don't hold the Christian worldviews have already been deceived. They've been blinded by the God of this world. And so what God calls us to do is to be his gentle, loving, persistent eye-openers. Eye-openers. I wish I had my phone here. I'd read exactly the text that I received. Uh, as you know, we do a lot of work with guys that are in the gangs, and this week we've had quite a bit of contact with two of our guys that have reached out to us for help. One Hispanic, one African-American, both from different gangs, as a matter of fact, rival gangs. And this week, they, were they haven't met each other in person yet, but this week they were, I connected them via text and they were texting each other back and forth. And if you saw what they were texting each other, you wouldn't believe it. They both have court dates next, this Wednesday, 10 o'clock, one's at 10, I think, or maybe they're both are at 10 o'clock, in the same courthouse in different courtrooms. And they're both standing before the judge for different reasons, but similar reasons based on their activity in their gangs. But if you could hear how these guys are talking to each other, they're quoting scripture to one another. Because I told them to download this app, the version app on their Bible, the Bible app, and they're reading. I've, I've given them some passages of scriptures to read. They're reading Proverbs. They're reading the Gospel of John. They're reading Philippians. And they're finding these passages of scripture, and they're of, of hope and encouragement, and they're sending it to each other and to me. That's on this text group. Yesterday, while I was preparing my message for today, one of the guys texted me. He said, Pastor, I hate to ask you. I didn't want to ask you, but I don't know who else to ask. And you told me if I needed anything to ask, so I'm asking. He says, my girlfriend is hungry, and she doesn't have anything to eat. And I can't help her where I'm at right now. So I said to him, I got you. Where is she at? And I went to Aldi, and I bought a $50 gift card from Aldi, and I made a sandwich and some chips and put in a bag, and I drove to her where she was working at a laundromat and gave her this food and gift card. And, and he was on the phone with her when I showed up. And he said to me, he said, Pastor, I have never, he says, I have never met in my life somebody like you. He says, I cannot believe the love that you're showing to me and my girlfriend right now. Where does that come from? You know what I told him? I didn't leave my house and the work that I'm doing preparing the message for the congregation because I love you and I like to leave my house and my work because I love you. 
I love you because God loves you through me. Only the gospel does that. And when we live out the gospel, it makes people scratch their head and say stuff like this gangbanger said, this former gangbanger. He said, I have never, he's never seen it. See, that's the reason why God leaves us here on planet earth instead of taking us directly to heaven immediately. We're already saved. We know we're going to heaven. Why are we still here? Because there are many people that are still blinded by the God of this age. And God wants us, you and I, to be the eye-openers by sharing his love and his message of a Savior who loved us and died on the cross for us. And when we are busy doing that, eyes will be opened. And people will shake their head and they're going to say stuff to you that maybe you've never heard before. And it will blow you away. It is the love of God that compels us to do things. When we have received the love of God and it changes us, it enables and empowers us to love other people in ways that we would not ordinarily love them. That is the power of the gospel that Paul writes about in Romans 1. And, that, and this is the power of the devil that blinds the world to this powerful gospel. So we must take God's word seriously if we are Christians. If we say we are Christians, we must take God's word seriously and obey his commands for us to be eye-openers to lift the veils, to speak truth, and to live out the truth in love. And when we do that, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when, the more we do that is the more eyes will be open. And, the, and people, we won't be able to, we won't have a church big enough to fit the people. They're going to be running to us because when people see love, they will come running for it. And they will want more of it. And they will want to know the source of it. And we'll have the opportunity to lead them to the source. Be sure you don't steal God's glory and say, well, I just love you because I love you. That's just me. That's who I am. I just love you like that. I got you, man. No, no, no. Be real. And tell them, the only reason I left my wife and kids to come out here. And she gave me the wrong address. So I was driving up and down. Kezzy couldn't find it. I was so mad. I called her up. I said, where are you at? She said, oh, well, I said, well, I just, my G GPS couldn't get me there. And I, come on now, what's up? And she, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's this address. Then I went back and found it. And it was easy. But it took, took me an extra hour to do what should have taken me 20 minutes. But I persisted because of the love of God that compelled me. You understand? Michael Allen wouldn't have done it. I'd have gone home, ate the sandwich myself. <laughs> Y'all just don't know. But when God's love gets a hold of you, it's a different, it's a different you. That's all I can say. So may God help us. May God help us to believe the word, receive the word, 
and let the Spirit of God change us to be more like him. And so let's stand as we pray.